There's something I'd like you to try. It's a game. The maze. The goal is to find the center of it. If you can do that, then maybe you can be free. I think I want to be free. Drop it! Duncan and both come correct. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's uh, it's your host, Bo. And with me is the other host, Duncan. I am a robot. I mean, I'm not a robot. Fuck. I got that wrong already. <laughs> oh, you are terrible. You are a terrible replicant. <laughs> uh, and maybe an even worse robot. Um, so, Duncan, uh, good to talk to you again. As always, we are in the in the midst of uh, the season now. We are in yeah, the, almost uh, at a halfway point. Yes, closing in on it. Uh, very briefly before we started the show, you said there was a lot to get into in this episode. Um, I I would hazard to say that's correct. Um, I man, this show is real good. Uh, yeah. Not not to spoil uh, anything right off the bat, but I have I'm slowly becoming kind of a Westworld super fan. I kind of, I think I was there at the end of the first episode, and I, I think every episode just kind of reaffirms my status as a super fan. I think um, I can't think of any show, maybe out with Game of Thrones, and I don't even think Game of Thrones does it as much as this either, that can have so many intricately weaved storylines going off in so many different directions, but yet never feel um overpacked to the point where i feel like i'm trying to follow too much the the narrative in this even though it's weaving in many different directions still is fairly straightforward to follow and i think i can't think of many shows that have as much story as this yet you know at no point am i like what who, who said what or or who's that character or you know anything like that and i think um Game of Thrones at times can be a bit confusing if you're if you take your eye off the ball for a second. But Westworld seems to seems to be doing a whole hell of a lot. Only four episodes in, we're covering huge amounts of story and huge amount of territory. And I don't feel um, I don't feel at any point like I'm I'm overcome with this desire that I'm like we we need to slow things down a little bit. If anything, I'm just like give me more, <laughs> give me more story. It's weird. It's the strangest thing. I don't think there's any show that does what this show does in an hour at all. Yeah, I I would agree with all that. I I think this show has done uh, an admirable job of, of, like you said, kind of weaving in these intricate storylines without ever feeling muddled. Um, And, and, you know, Game of Thrones also has the benefit of all these books with... Like, what what throws me on Game of Thrones is always the... uh, tossed off name yeah. you know that people like you know well sir ray of hildegrand or you know <laughs> like they'll mention some character that sounded authentic that sounded authentic <laughs> is that a real character did I, you just make that up? i i think i just made it up but i can't swear to that um, do you write fan fiction for game of thrones not game of thrones it's mostly uh like the cd cw superhero show related <laughs> and it's all slash fiction so uh <laughs> Turns out you can turn a tidy profit on that. So, before we jump into the episode, let's let's do some bona fides for this thing because oh my goodness, is the deck stacked in favor of 
Uh, episode four, uh, also known as Dissonance Theory. Yeah. Uh, the director is Vincenzo Natale. Yeah. Uh, who... that, 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 that guy, that guy that's, that guy that's a horror director. Remember him? Yeah. You may know him, uh, from such films as, um, well, he was on, he did a lot of work on Hannibal. Yep. Uh, most recently has been in, in, uh, involved with Orphan Black, did the movie Splice, um, did Cube, uh, Cube. maybe most yep. notably. And I mean, the guy's just uh, had his hands all over like genre television and, and stuff like that. Did, uh, has done The Strain and Luke Cage and Wayward Pine and, uh, all that stuff. So, um, you know, pretty, Solid director for Beginzies, and I'm I'm a bit of a splice apologist. I think that's a, a very good movie. I really liked Splice. Really, I saw it in the cinema, and I remember people going, "Oh, it's just like Species." I was like, "Shut up!" Yeah, <laughs> but it's kind of I, I, all right. This is not the Splice show. Some other time, we will <laughs> we will go into how how Splice is unfairly maligned. Um, but. There, all right. So for the writers on this episode, it is it Jonathan Nolan, who you know, of course, we have talked about on the show already. Um, the other guy whose name pops up in the credits and is the co-writer of this episode, and someone that I I, I want to point out to to emphasize what an amazing writer this guy is, uh, is Ed Brubaker. Now, Ed Brubaker is like a co-writer on uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, did that movie uh, Angel of Death with uh, the lady that was the stunt double from Kill Bill. I can't think of her name. Um, Bill. Oh, yeah, exactly. So he is most known, however, for his comic work. And if you have never read uh, the comic series Fatal, which he, uh, he wrote... It is this incredible piece of supernatural noir storytelling. Ooh. Yeah, it is, it's all about a woman who is seductive but apparently can't die, and all the men who uh, kind of swarm around her. And, and, you know, there's mystery. And, like, the guy loves noir and genre fiction and has been a very good writer for a long time, and, and I, I'm happy to see him involved with this project. So, um, other than that... So we have we have our director, we have great writers, normal cast uh, stepping back in. So let's jump into what happened in Dissonance Theory. Um, to begin with, we start as we have consistently through the show uh, with a scene between Bernard and Dolores. Mm -hmm. Another one of these conversations sort of about consciousness. Yeah. And in this case, we we get... A little bit more information about the maze, and uh, Duncan, you wanna you wanna talk a little maze? Yeah. So basically, um, for for those that have been keeping up with the show and hopefully been keeping up with this this particular show, our podcast, um, you will know that the man in black is currently hunting down what he believes is the next the next stage in the game, so to speak, which is the maze. And we've only ever, we've only ever heard him talk about it. But this is the first time we've heard someone else talk about it. So in the conversation between Dolores um, and our good friend Bernard, um, she relays the point that she is uh, hurting on the inside emotionally because her family's been killed. 
um, and and she has no what everyone she loves is dead, um, and and of course Bernard. Bernard's trying to, we think, potentially push forward her consciousness, but at the same time, he completely understands she's a robot. So when she starts to get emotional, cuts that shit off right away. It's like, right, that's that. And then he says, you know, I can take away these emotions if you want. And she's, no, she doesn't want that. Um, she wants to be free. Um, and what he suggests is that she enters back into the game, but hunts down the maze. And if she can get to the maze and get through the maze... Uh, she may be free. Yeah, whatever uh, that means, whatever freedom. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, whatever that means, and that's very intriguing because this is, on some level, this is the first time we've had confirmation from someone out with the man in black, someone that actually knows the workings of the park as to the maze's existence, um, which was, uh, I'll be honest, when I heard that, I went, ooh, <laughs> exactly like that, ooh, maze. As if someone had maybe gently caressed your thigh. Oh, yeah, that's exactly the noise I make when someone does that. Ooh, <laughs> right. maze you. And I also say maze you say, even though they caress my thigh, they're like, what? I'm like, maze you say, ooh. Right. Uh, you can exactly be free. <laughs> but yeah, this is, um, th- this is quite interesting because where we left Dolores at the end of the previous episode um, was that she had stumbled into the the, kind of the camp of uh, William and his rather obnoxious brother-in-law, where we get a whole hell of a lot of information about them in this episode. Um, but she, she stumbled in there distraught after shooting um, one of the, the robots out with her programming and uh, kind of collapsing into his arms. So... I'm assuming that while everyone was asleep, she ended up back with Bernard. Bernard has told her potentially to to locate the maze and then sent her back to him. Either that or this is... Actually, I'm assuming that's what happened because the time doesn't really make sense. Because she was there, then she was back, you know, speaking to him, and then the next time we see her, she's very much back with William again. Uh, William, and like I say, his rather obnoxious uh, brother-in-law. Yeah, we, a couple of points about this scene, uh, in addition to the ones you made so well. The, I, I, I was really struck in this scene, and, and it happens with the, like, oh, you don't have to be upset, let me shut off your emotion chip or whatever. Um, the performance that Evan Rachel Wood continues to, or Rachel Evan Wood continues to give on this show is incredibly impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, all the actors are quite good, but her being able to shift from this moment of like agony and despair into like being a much more flat delivery is impressive, you know, for, for an actor. And, um, so in addition to that point, I would also like to reemphasize the somewhat eponymous at this point, uh, fan theories about the fact that we're dealing with two different timelines, which could very much explain, uh, you know, how Dolores is getting in and out. Like, this conversation with Bernard may or may not be taking place concurrently with what's going on with, you know, William and Logan. Yeah. Which is where we find herself. Like, when she comes to, she is now, you know, at the camp with William and Logan. William is offering her some coffee, I guess, or bourbon. I don't know. It's He's on vacation. You never know. <laughs> and... Uh, and you get the sense, of course, that William is 
being uh, a good guy, you know, it's, it's, that's been the case ever since we've met him. He seems to be the guy who's not a total jerk, uh, mm-hmm. unlike Logan. And it's a very brief scene there, but it's kind of, you know, a nice setup. And it also introduces the idea of like, hey, how did she get there again? What the? Um, yeah. So we move from that to the brothel with Maeve and Clementine. Yes. And Maeve is not holding up so well. <laughs> She's seen birdies mentally. Yeah. She and it, it's kind of interesting because there are a couple of times in in this episode where the the robots uh, talk about themselves as having like mental breakdowns and stuff, and and, and I find that endlessly fascinating. But um, what what is bothering Maeve is you know she's in the usual loop where she's kind of hanging out at the bar and talking to Clementine, and she sees uh, some of the other um, hosts kind of sitting around playing poker and stuff. And then she starts having these flashbacks again to, you know, people coming in, shooting up the bar, um, killing her, killing Clementine. There's this great shot of like blood leaking from her eye of Clementine's eye as Maeve's looking at her. And then you realize, Oh, the camera tilts and it's her lying on the ground after one of these, you know, either, either a host or guest just coming in and, and blowing the shit out of the place. And, um, so yeah, the, the, whatever, uh, hidden memories that Maeve has, uh, are continue to bubble to the surface in a way that is making her go. I think the technical term is bananas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, um, and w- once again, I, like we're talking about performances and I think, um, Thandie Newton is brilliant in this, um, I mean, if you're an actor in Volvo Westworld, do you want to play one of the hosts or do you want to play a human? I think it's far more interesting to play one of the hosts because every time they're on screen, they're they're playing the same character but completely different. Um, I just find that really, really interesting. She's Her character arc thus far, when we first met her right back in episode one, very much the good time girl, you know, headmistress, uh, and all the rest. And when we see her now, she is doubting herself. She has memories she can't explain that don't make sense of a an injury that she has in her in, in her thigh, um, or sorry, in her, her lower stomach. And um, there's nothing there. Like every time she looks, she's unblemished. But she she remembers she remembers it uh, so so vividly and so strongly that she thinks she's going crazy. Um, and she, it's, I think she's turning in a fantastic performance as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think my favorite part of this whole sequence, because it's, you know, it's her in the brothel and, and having these, uh, you know, repressed memories or whatever of the guys in uh, essentially like hazmat suits um, that comes into play later in the episode. But they're... In, in this sequence, there's this great bit where she's about to cross the street and a carriage uh, rolls by her and she it frightens her, you know, like she jumps back. And then uh, I, I like that because it's such a human reaction uh, or yeah. what I know as your human emotions. Um, <laughs> but she uh, so she goes back to her, her room and sketches this thing that she's been seeing. 
And in one of my favorite scenes that this show has pulled yet, she pulls up a board where she hides like her personal stuff and finds a stack of illustrations of the same thing. Yeah. So but, she's done this before many times. Right. And doesn't remember that over and over again, she's been trying to remember this thing. Oh, it's so good. It's so good, Duncan. Uh, so, uh, so we shift from that. And now we are uh, back at the Delos Corporation. And we have uh, some questions to ask about the uh, host, what brained himself in the last episode. <laughs> and didn't they have? Because we can now see the result. And it's basically all that's left is like a jaw and the rest of his body. The top of his head is flattened right into his jaw. It's pretty funny. Yeah. And, it, and he like, I don't know if he's trying to talk or if it's just like, you know, the mouth moving or whatever. But it's this dude with this, you know, caved in skull uh, with his jaw moving robotically. It's, it's, it's pretty great. Um, but what, what comes out of this scene is that we now know that the Dallas Corporation is starting to assert more control over the park. Yeah. And they've taken uh, Bernard and Elsie. Uh, who was, you know, the girl who was out uh, fetching said uh, host what brained himself. And he, uh, they basically get kicked off the, um, not the team, but like they're, they're told, hey, our quality assurance people are going to be assessing these robots. So you and Elsie are kind of out of the loop. They're not going to be the front line of dealing with these problems. I'm kind of with them on this. Well, yeah, I mean, from a corporate point of view, it's like, hey, we've got weird shit popping off in the park, and these guys have been responsible all the, all the time, and they're uh, the, the entire time for these robots, and they don't seem particularly upset about and they certainly don't seem like they're trying to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. And Elsie uh, is really the exception of that. Elsie's the one who's like, this is all crazy talk. And, yeah. like, why why are we not coming clean with them and saying that these robots are engaging in behavior that we never programmed them for. And it's Bernard who says like, you know, chill out, baby. It's going to be fine. Yeah. I, 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 I love him in this because like, she basically says, listen, you, I, I might be wrong, but didn't you hire me because you liked the fact that I was outspoken? He's like, yeah, that's why I hired you. And he's like, well, what we're doing here, you know, why, why are you allowing yourself to be pushed off? Why do I feel that everyone in this corporation has a, an ulterior motive or, or some sort of hidden agenda? And I'm the one that does it. And I mean, look at this picture. It's Orion's belt and all the rest. And what's quite funny about this is Bernard takes the position of... Ford in this one, he's like, nah, listen, they're just robots. They're, you know, If you think you're seeing something in them, that's you that's putting that in there. That's not the robot. And she's like, no, look at this. And he's like, nah. he's like no, no, no. Look at that. Look, look, look at this here. When you look at it, you see Orion, but there's four stars in his belt and Orion only has three. So that's not Orion. I love how once he's dropped that bombshell, just kind of saunters off the screen. So that's right. Bernard's been a boss. Uh-huh. Mic trap for Bernard. Um, yeah, it's well done. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of, again what what always strikes me as fascinating about this is uh, the show is um, sort of the ideas of consciousness and all that, and and I think that's all super fun to watch and and see it play out in in this kind of Western sci-fi world. But 
the show does a really a, a, a kind of incredible job of portraying this corporate culture because there's a lot of that stuff in this episode and you start to understand that these these characters like you know bernard and ford and the guys who are kind of you know hip deep in in park operations really do have this incredible level of control yeah and uh yeah like I, i i continue to like bernard more and more even though his motives are still really unclear. Um, but at any rate, uh, so that's, that's kind of the wrap up of, of that scene. At least it's just like, Hey, we are now in a, in a place where Delos is trying to sniff out what may be going wrong at the park. While meanwhile, the people who probably really know what's going wrong at the park are keeping their mouth shut. Yeah. And, uh, and God bless Elsie for, you know, trying. Um, but, you yeah. know, it, when you're so going. That, that's, it's a grown up's world, Bo. And she, at the moment, is not, not really a grown up. It's not a player yet. Well, she seems like she is doing her job, and everyone else, like, as she said, everyone else seems to have this other thing they're trying to accomplish that no one else knows about. And, oh, man. All right. So I can't wait for, like, episode eight of this show because it's going to be uh, bananas. I, th- I, I get the feeling that by, by episode nine, we're going to be like, and this happens, which relates back to episode three, and it was my grand theory of this. Isn't this exciting, Bo? And you're just going to be like, yes! Right. Just <laughs> constantly, you know, rubbing my nipples as uh, <laughs> the song from Silence plays in the background. Uh, <laughs> would you fuck me? Um, oh yes. Well, thanks. Uh, so one other thing I want. <laughs> Sorry, to... did I say that out loud? God was, damn robot I think everyone knows it's your replicant, <laughs> replicant programming. Um, we also had another player piano song that popped up in this episode that we kind of skipped over, but mm-hmm. I just want to point out that this time around it was a forest by the Cure, which yes. is pretty great. Uh, yeah. Oh man! See, I thought like I, I, my concern was that this the use like after like the first two episodes and noticing about two or three songs, my concern was that potentially this could become quite gimmicky, and it's not. It's not. It's awesome. Just keep doing it. Well, and when you're, you know, not like it's a super deep cut or anything, but you know, using a Cure song is still not exactly mainstream, particularly a forest. It's not like it was Love Song or Fascination Street or some shit like that. Yeah. And, yeah, I, th- I think the the music in general is really good in this show, but those little, like, brief glimpses of pop culture invading this world kind of makes me happy. Um, all right, so let, let's get back to William and uh, Logan. And... They, uh, with Dolores still in tow, and uh, they're kind of debating, like, should we take Dolores back to town? And Logan's like, fuck that, man. Like, you pulled me out here to do this stupid bounty hunter thing that I didn't want to do. And now you want to bail to take the robot back to town. And how about I just shoot her, and then it's not a problem anymore. And then we can just do whatever we want. And William, to his credit, is like, no, 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 no. All right, we'll go. We'll take her along with us, and, and, and we'll go uh do the uh the this part of the game you know the 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 actual bounty hunt and yeah william is 
you know, it, it's sort of like the conversation that Bernard has with Elsie, where he's telling her, like, hey, they don't have imaginations, but you do. You know, you're anthropomorphizing the robots. And in much the same way that we do with, like, pets and whatnot. It's like, you know, I like to believe that my cat has this rich internal life, but it's probably mostly, like, food, poop, sleep now. You know, that's probably what's really going on in her tiny little tiny little cranium. Mm-hmm. But I like to attribute, like, oh, you know, she likes this song. No, she doesn't. She doesn't give a shit. She's a cat. <laughs> but, but we do that, right? So, and, and that's Bernard's point is it, it's the likeliest explanation is that you are attributing human behavior to these robots when they're just malfunctioning for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, Which makes sense. I mean, I, 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 I think that's, I, I think that's, kind of makes sense doesn't it but the, what came out of this the, their discussions as well which i found quite interesting was um the fact that they're not there necessarily well you know how we were saying like logan had been there a few times by the sounds of things and it must be quite pricey for him because it's like forty thousand a day that's um, right that's assuming and, that we're using uh american dollars not the british pound yeah, well, to be honest with you, I think the, the, the American dollar is now stronger than the British pound. Um, so, um, yeah, from now on I want paid in dollars. Um, but yeah, the, the their conversation springs out something in relation to, this is more, a, they're there at kind of cross purposes almost. William believes that this is supposed to be a vacation and it is kind of technically but Logan insinuates that is being paid by the company. Yeah, is it this scene that we find out that, uh, like Logan and his family, yeah, have some money in the park. Yes, and and it, that he is saying like, man, we really should encourage them to buy more because they're they have a discussion that the overseers of Westworld. Um, have sent Dolores out there because it's the one host that William has engaged with. Yes. And that they're basically sending her out to be kind of a companion for him. And Logan is saying, like, man, we, you know, that's why we ought to invest more. These guys are really, like, even even a lame guy like William here is getting a tailor-made experience. Yes. And uh, that, that comes out in this scene, which was quite interesting because, once again, this kind of throws up the... Kind of explains Logan a bit more, his attitudes, his very cavalier attitude in the park towards everyone and everything. Um, it kind of makes sense that, you know, there's a bit of ownership there. Even if it is just a small percentage in shares or whatever, it kind of explains kind of bratty overall behaviour. Um, and, and William's confusion at the situation where he just thought they were just genuinely there as a trip. Um you know, for for holiday and all the rest, and Logan kind of saying, "Well, we are, but at the same time, remember, uh, we have money in here." Yeah, and also Logan is treating it like a game, like a video game, like a big video game, where he's kind of poking at the edges of it and and wantonly murdering people and stuff like that. All the stuff that we've seen people do in Westworld, and you know, he's basically grand. He's playing the Grand Theft Auto. You know, yes. Yeah. 45 hours into the game experience where you're just like, uh, 
Where'd I have to go for the next cycle? I could just murder this prostitute, steal a car, run over this police officer, get loads of cops chasing after me and take them out with a rocket launcher. So that's basically his experience in the park now is just... Well, to, yeah. to quote uh, a character later in the show, it, it's just mayhem. That's what he's yeah. after. He's just after a crazy experience that when he leaves Westworld, he can say like, oh yeah, you know, like shot up this bank and, you know rape some Indian women or whatever, you know, his, his fancy is. And, uh, but yeah, so I think that that parallel, like William treating it like it's a real thing. As, uh, whereas Logan sees it all as the, you know, small it is. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, let's, shall we turn our attention to the man in black, Duncan? Oh yes. I I've been waiting for this since we started because there was a distinct lack of Man in Black in the last episode, like a distinct lack of it, and and I don't know about you, Bo, um, I, I've been kind of clambering for some Man in Black action, and oh. this episode brings them back, and uh, uh, Bo, I was kind of thinking to myself, I want some Man in Black action, but you want to know what I really want? What happened to that little blonde chick with a arsenal of rifles and the crack shot and all that is i wonder if she'll ever come back and there she is and not only is she there she's topless and she's got a fucking snake tattoo that winds around her body i was in heaven (laughs) best day ever (laughs) it it really is yeah i mean i agree with you completely I, i i felt the same way where it was like oh it's the chick with all the rifles that's awesome and the man in black and now they're kind of you know not hooking up but they're you know, joining forces, uh, yeah. because you know, the, the, uh, riddle that he was given is like, what, what was it? Follow, uh, follow the blood arrow to where the snake lays its eggs or whatever. Yes. And so when we first see him and he's still got Lawrence, who by the way, has a noose around his neck and is forced to carry the rope, yes. uh, which oh. is, is so good. Um, oh, has like the man in blacks, like, the way he tortures other people in this, like, and I don't even think it, well, maybe he knows he's doing it, but like later on when when we talk about Teddy, I'm just like that. Does, is this guy just like, <laughs> it's like, just like a dick to everyone. But uh, Lawrence is, and by the way, Clifton Collins Jr. is, I've seen him in plenty of things before and I think he's a great actor. I think he's fucking brilliant in this as well. I think he's been really, really, really good. To, to watch just being he, he pairs really well off against Ed Harris for some reason um, the two of them are just like a really interesting combination and they roll up um, and the man in black is confused because uh, there are plenty of snakes there but none of them are laying eggs um, and then they kind of, kind of takes a couple of steps and peers over and in the river washing herself topless um, is uh, Ar- it was Armistice? Is that her name? I think that's her name. I yeah, I think so. I'll I'll double check, but keep go- keep going there. I, th- I think it's her. Um, and basically, he's like, well, right, we've found the clue because she has uh, a snake tattoo which winds around her body. So they then move up on her, but before they can get close enough, um, her posse arrives, uh, puts a gun to Lawrence, um, and then obviously threatens. Um, the man in black, and it kind of turns out that this has been staged. Armistice has done this, you know, she went topless and went into the the river because obviously men will will stare. Um, and it was used as a distraction point. 
Um, and I love this scene so much because it's like you say, it's these two characters you kind of never thought would be in the same scene are now sharing the same scene. And the man in black is captivated by it. Like, I've been here so many times. How is it that I'm only now just meeting you? I kind of feel like we should have done this before. Um, you know, that that old chestnut. Um, and she's like, listen, no time for you. We've got a full crew and all the rest. And he's like, Bleh. and the man in black, logic, um, is if you kill two of the hosts, you can replace those two, which is what he does. And they join that crew. Um, and what he says to her is he wants to know the story. He's already figured out how he gets the next clue. He wants to know the story of what the tattoo means and where she got it. All right. Let me stop you right here because some of the most oh. awesome stuff happens in this scene. Not not Tell just me. the snake tattoo and uh, the lovely Ingrid Bolso Bertol is the actress. Is that her name? Right? Yes. Oh, she's... Mm. Yes, she is, uh, I think, from Oslo. Um, and Armistice, confirmed, is her name. So not only we do, do we get the awesome rifle lady. Yes. Uh, but when he says, like, hey, I thought I'd, I'd join in with you guys. And she says, uh, you know, actually, we've got a pretty full roster here. We don't, we're not looking for additional help. So he turns around and shoots two of the other dudes in the head. And says, uh, I think he got some openings. <laughs> and it's <laughs> so good. It's Man in Black. It's Man in Black logic. I, I love it. it. Like, he's such a, like, such a logical, linear thinker, if you know what I mean. Like, he, he has a mission, and he will do exactly what needs to be done to get to that, you know, to get to that end goal. And, um, I, I love how he, he does that, and the uh, Armistice is just like, eh, fine. Because, <laughs> Even, like, she's very... She's cut from the same cloth, so to speak. She's like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. We're two guys down there. You're two guys. Let's go. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it It's very, like, Clint Eastwood, late 70s Western. You know, yes. like, his whole character is that kind of, you know, man with no name. I know that was earlier, but, like, when you get into Outlaw Josie Wales in particular, it's just... He's just kind of a quip machine for, mm -hmm. for part of this episode. Um, in particular, his dealings with Hector, who we'll meet in a bit, and uh, Lawrence, uh, his his partner in crime. Um, so yeah, it's uh, like there is just awesome stuff that it, it's the perfect mix of like, hey, there's this really good western happening mm -hmm. at the same time that all the sci-fi stuff is happening, and uh, some of my favorite moments in the episode are when Ed Harris. Very, and Logan does this too, where they talk very openly around the hosts yes. about the fact that they're robots. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and most of the hosts kind of blow it off. Dolores is kind of an exception, maybe. Um, yeah. But uh, before we get there, so we've got Man in Black hooked up with the Rifle Lady, a.k.a. Our Armistice, a.k.a. Hagada Hagada Heart. And... Mm. <laughs> Yeah, she's a lovely woman, and it helps that she has a bedroll filled with rifles. That's what <laughs> seals the deal. Um, so at, back at Delos, they say, like, hey, we've got this Dolores Abernathy host that's way off loop. And they're not sure if she's with a guest or not. They just know that she's kind of gone rogue. 
Yeah, they they also mentioned that um, it could be loosely linked to the fact that there are a large percentage of the hosts that have been pulled off their usual storylines to go and help Ford with whatever he's doing out in the park. Yeah, uh, like there have been, you know, glitches or, or, you know, these hosts going kind of rogue, as you said. And she ends up uh, in the village where um lawrence is from and he and runs into her daughter who is drawing um the map of the maze in the dirt yes and then but here's glad you picked up on that as well by the way well i thought that's quite interesting i'm attentive sir and and she seems to be one of the gatekeepers of this maze like you know she's the, the one who put the man in black on his path and all that so After she has this brief conversation where the the daughter Lawrence's daughter is basically saying like don't you remember like don't don't you know what's going on and blah 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 and then a one of the hosts that's a um uh like one of a marshal in the area uh you know or is designed to be a marshal uh shows up and is like hey I'm supposed to take you back. Yeah. And, in you know, still in character and all, but it's very clear Dolores doesn't want to go back. Well, yeah, and her understanding is in her memory that her dad's dead for a start. There's no one back there at all. And she says that. She's like, you know, my, 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 like she has this weird kind of, it's like she almost realizes that. It's, it's almost like well, earlier on in the previous episode, she couldn't pull the the trigger for the gun. There was like something prohibiting her doing it. And it's kind of similar here in that she understands after the conversation with, with the girl, she understands that there are, there's some sort of memory of her being from this town, which doesn't make sense. Um, and this guy says this and then she's like, well, you know, my dad's dead. You know, why, why would I go back? I don't want to go back there. And it looks like things could get a little bit rough. Um, the marshal's having none of it um, and just as that looks like it's going to escalate um, that is the exact point that William comes and says you know what's going on here she's with me and the host it's, it's brilliant how they do these things those just completely changes it's like a switch comes oh sorry I didn't know that right well you used to have a nice day now and, and he moves on so yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's strange it's strange how they like characters just snap in and out of programming, and it's really well how they do it in the show. And you know, it, it's just like you can almost see the physical change um, in the character. And like, oh, thanks, right? And then you know, he, he moves off to the side. Um, and basically, at this point, once again, we we have William offering the opportunity for Dolores to go home you know like that he keeps coming back to she can go home if you want you don't have to come with us and she once again is adamant she's going to go with them as they collect their bounty yeah and this is one of those moments where he talks to her kind of with the acknowledgement that she's a robot Mm. you know where where he's like you know are you supposed to be here like should you be i always thought that you you know like you guys would have to go back to whatever you're doing kind of that you know, rubber banding in a video game or something. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, oh man, it's so good. I mean, I, I just love 
this weird, you know, dissonance to, to use a word from the title of the show, um, between like the world you're in and the way that some people immerse themselves and some people do not. And, and the hosts are constantly trying to balance that, you know, uh, which is why they probably go a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puff sometimes. Again, mm-hmm. medical term. Uh, <laughs> went to several, I went to General Mills University to, uh, to get my degree in cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, uh, science. <laughs> um, but all right. So uh, one, once we've, you know, got William and Dolores back, you know, for sure, they are going to go hunt down this bounty. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to, yeah, it, we'll, yeah. When we get to it, it's a great scene. I love it. It's the next scene. We're back with the man in black. And again, one of the most badass things that happens in the episode <laughs> where he and Lawrence and the rest of Armistice's posse. Well, I guess it's kind of Hector's posse, really. But Armistice is with him. Um, and they're just kind of watching on a ridge as she goes down to meet. And the, and this I was kind of unclear on. What, like she is getting information from them or something? Yeah, she basically is getting it. She was getting them. She had got information from them with regards to where Hector was. And if they were basically waiting for a signal to be relayed back to them that it was confirmed that the information was accurate. And that confirmation was that she sliced her throats brutally. <laughs> well, she slices one dude's throat and then shoots the other. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. It was beautiful to watch. And once again, that's very much a man in black tactic. We've seen him. We've seen him execute people in exactly the same method. Yeah, so, it, yeah. It's... And that, that was a signal, so to speak, is that the they still don't know that what she is looking for at this point is Hector. They just know that they're looking for something or someone, and she was going to get information on it. Yeah, and he's along for the ride because this is as close as he's ever come to the true entrance of the maze. Yes. And, all right, so we move from that. Now we're back with William and Dolores where we have this kind of sweet scene between them where he's, you know, she's talking about uh, how she grew up and stuff like that. And, you know, he's clearly kind of fallen for her in a way. Uh, you know, going back to my coffee machine analogy that I, I, I probably overuse on this show, but he is not of that stripe. He does not believe that they are totally without, not necessarily that they don't have consciousness, but just that he, he's buying into this illusion. Yes. He's just unaware that with Dolores, maybe it's not an illusion, mm-hmm. you know? At and the moment, she, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and she's having this, you know, kind of esoteric conversation with him about, like, where she should go and where she belongs. And, you know, I mean, it's if you were talking to, uh, you know, someone as lovely as Rachel Evan Wood out in the middle of the prairie at night around a campfire, and you're having these kind of wistful conversations about fate and where you belong and stuff like that, like, I would be smitten as well. <laughs> I would be... I would be in deep smits or deep smit. <laughs> yeah, I'd be up to my eyes in smit. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, that's about as good as it gets. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So are we right? So the next scene is them 
going for the bounty, isn't it? Is that right? No, the next scene, well, we, we go to the um, man in black, and this is where he makes the <sighs> yes. proposition. Oh, right, right. This is, this is, this is brilliant. Right, this is brilliant. So basically, we, um, <laughs> we're in this position where Lawrence seems to know it's like Lawrence is constantly relaying what's happening to the man in black. He he just he does not give a fuck, right? Um, and Lawrence like told him earlier on he's like that ah, she's gonna find that information and give us a signal. So we jump to this scene and he's like that yeah they're gonna get a cannon and they're gonna blow down this they're gonna blow a hole in the side of this jail cell to free this guy. And um, the man in black in the size is like I don't have time for this. Right. He's just like he shakes it. You can see him. He just shakes that. So he gets up and walks across town. He's like, listen, if I go away and I break into this you know, prison and I come back with the person that you want, um, will you tell me the story of how you got your tattoo? And she's looking at him as if he's crazy, obviously, because there's one guy going up against marshals and um, all these other armed people to break into a jail cell to extract... Like, this really dangerous criminal. And he's like, yeah, all I need is, you know, uh, all I need is, I, I think it's like one one horse, one pistol, and... No, it's not even a pistol. It's one one horse, one match, and Lawrence. That's it. Yeah, Lawrence, and she's like, so you, you want, you, you, you're you going to take this, you know, one match and this one horse and, and one idiot. And he kind of looks back and he's, he kind of looks back and kind of smiles, chuckles. Um, and then the next thing we see is they're now in a horse and cart um under arrest um being being taken to this prison cell and lawrence is to say demoralized at this point would be an understatement um the man in black basically saved them from hanging then took him back to his village where he murdered all his cousins and his wife um and then has taken him away and then basically got him caught again and he knows that if he goes to prison he's gonna die and he's like you know i just wish he you know killed me um i love like because we're talking about the man in black you know will will break the story and call it like he sees it tell you know tell them that you know talk about them as robots around them and he's like that you know you don't understand lawrence that you you're always you're always trapped yeah. You're always trapped. As the story always plays out, you're always trapped. And Lawrence doesn't understand this. And he's like, you know, maybe I'm here to, you know, set you free. You ever thought of that? You know, maybe I'm here to do that. And Lawrence doesn't quite get this. He's not grasping it because he's a robot. Um, but the man in black, you know, it just kind of throws that out there as casual conversation. And then produces these rather divine looking cigars. And I don't smoke cigars, but... Um, they look very nice. Uh, and his description rolled, is fucking brilliant. Rolled on the yeah. ample thighs of exotic women. Is that? <laughs> and I, I wonder if that's a nod to something wicked this way comes. I can I don't know if I'd like, I, I know. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of thought, yeah, I, I, it must be. I don't think that this show is very deliberately written. Um, that I can't imagine too many similarities or coincidences popping up. Um, but he, he's trying to tempt the guard that has uh, the bounty hunter or police officer or whoever. He's trying to tempt him with these. You know, these are very nice, uh, but I don't have a light. Um, and they arrive at the 
they arrive at the the prison or the sheriff station or whatever we're calling it. Um, and I think sheriff out... station is where uh, police cars get gas. The, the, the sheriff station is garbage truck. Uh, <laughs> That's we call them garbage trucks here in the U.S. Duncan. Garbage truck. Um, ben Laurie and uh, like the man in black comes out and. The, the funny thing is, between the two of these, right, there, was, there were a couple of things that made me laugh, right? The first thing that made me laugh is that the the guy that comes out, the the, the kind of main deputy force is his name in this, comes out there, he's uh, played by a guy called Demetrius Gross, um, and he comes out, and from a distance, from a distance, he looked like Dylan from Predator. Um, <laughs> Alright. Right, so, so he come out and my brain being as warped as it is, I thought, you know, man in black will know who he is. You're Dylan, you son of a bitch, what's the matter? You know, this Western movie could be pushing too many pencils. I don't know. I started laughing at that, and then I realised that was not the right actor. Um, but you've got Lawrence and the man in black standing beside each other. One of them is clearly not dangerous, but he's a criminal. The other one is the most dangerous man in Westworld. And of course, this this uh, deputy comes in and goes, ah, you know what you've got there? You've got the most wanted man in three times and all the rest. And of course, you're thinking to yourself, the man in black, obviously. And he's like, ah, this is Lawrence so and so, the guy who's like, you're like, what? what? No, no, Lawrence, no, Lawrence right. is not the bad. The man in black is the bad. And I love that because he set this whole thing up and it didn't drop the way you thought it was going to drop. And it kind of made me smile a little bit. Yeah, that sequence is, like, the kind of buddy comedy that happens with Lawrence and the Man in Black is pretty wonderful. It's it's great. It's it's, it's not done, it's not too on the nose. It's very subtle, and it's played at exactly the right points it needs to be played. Um, And, of course, Man in Black just leaves in. He's like, you know, he actually told me, you know, he told me that he, first to die by firing squad <laughs> and they're like oh well we can make that happen here that's yeah, that's fine. no problem we got that yep so poor lawrence once again faces death row um and gets dragged off man in black gets put in a prison cell minus cigars uh well minus a cigar and it turns out he's not alone in this prison cell um he meets up with a guy who we've only met once who was going to do this fantastic speech written by one of the Delos guys, uh, but got shot just before he could say it. It's Hector! Finally. Yay, Hector! Uh, and, who, uh, who is kind of Old West Joker. He really is. He really is. And, uh, what, I, what I like about this is, even his, and I obviously don't know what the actor sounds like in real life, but there is something kind of inauthentic about his accent, which kind of sounds like, you know, when you watched movies, like if you watch like westerns from the, you know, the, 60s and 70s uh, characters who were from Mexico quote unquote who were usually played by Italian actors actually um, had a shall we say dubious accent is that is that fair to say yeah I, I think that's being generous and uh, Hector has a kind of dubious accent yeah he's he is definitely the you know as he's written uh, as yeah. a character um, is the guy that just wants to blow shit up for the sake of blowing shit up. Yeah. You know, that in fact, they have a a quick conversation sort of about their worldview, the man in black and Hector. And, uh, the man in black is a little surprised to find that Hector is not 
completely dissimilar from his own philosophy of, you know, that everyone is sort of trapped, they can't ever escape, that the world is ultimately meaningless. And uh, the man in black is like, yeah, yeah, that that seems pretty right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like what we don't, what we did not know, what we did not see in this episode is somewhere out there in a description of of the character of Hector, Michael Caine was out there going, "Listen here, Master Wayne, some people just want to see the world burn." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a pretty good Michael Caine. Thank you very much. I try my best. Uh, but yeah, that's that's basically Hector. Hector is anarchy, anarchy incarnate, um, and he, he gets given a bit of advice by the man in black. And his bit of advice is, "What you're looking for is not in that safe." Um, oh, so, that's no, that's Thandie Newton who says that to Hector. No, 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 no. Do, do they both say it to him? Because she says it yep. to him also. Oh, I didn't yep. catch that. Okay. Man, Man in Black tells him that inside the... He either tells him inside the cell or he tells him it in passing when they arrive back so he can get his story. He tells him what you're looking for is not inside that safe. Oh, okay. All right. And I was like, I was like, all right, so you've seen the end of this, which was quite interesting because Man in Black said he'd never come across um, Armistice before, but he clearly knows... He clearly knows the end result of Hector's story. Um, yeah, there, there's a great line he has. Uh, hold on, because I, I may know this. Um, when he's talking to Hector, the man black says, you always seem like a market-tested type of thing. <laughs> and, and Hector's response is, you sound like a man who's grown tired of wearing his guts on the inside. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's another great interaction I, don't, I love this show so much it's so well written <laughs> um, really really is so so Man in Black is basically James Bond right because these cigars that he has um, are not what they appear to be um, and using using a bit of jiggery pokery um, he, he blows the doors open to the cell um, and then he's, you know, he's going to get his gun, but unfortunately he can't get his gun in time. The the guy that arrested him comes around the corner smoking the cigar, and then that blows up in his face. Literally. Boom. Um, so he drops, and then we jump to the firing squad. Poor Lawrence, once again, is is seconds away from death. <laughs> it's yeah. What what uh. What was his last words when the when the the uh, deputy comes up to him and is like, "You got any last words?" And it's like, "Make it quick or get it over yeah. with," something like he that. He just he just wants he just wants to be gone. He's had enough of this. He wants to be off this crow plane boat, and he's so so close. The guns are cocked. They're told to take aim and they're told to fire, and then a lot of bullets get shot. Um, but unfortunately, when Lawrence is realizes that he hasn't been shot and he takes his mask off he's confronted with a man in black again and then he realizes ah that's right we're gonna be going with you and uh we got a, a passing shot of hector put down uh deputy Foss, so i imagine we will see sometime again yeah what's kind of fun to me about this scene is you know hector really not hector but uh lawrence is really is kind of at the end of his rope uh not just in terms of being <laughs> you know, in front of a firing squad, but it's just continually put upon in this episode. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, as we saw with Dolores, his family's there. 
you know, like yeah. they've been rebooted or whatever. So <laughs> all he's got to do is die in the, you know, in this particular setting and he gets to go back home to his family. I mean, granted, he's always going to be kind of a, a shitheel bandit. Yeah, well, th- this is the thing. Like, does he, from from what when does does he go back to his family though? I don't think he does go back to his family. I think if he dies, he goes back to the noose. Maybe I so. think that's what I think that's what Man in Black was telling him. Man in Black was was basically saying to him, "You're always trapped. You're always trapped." That's I don't think he meant like your loop always ends exactly the same way. I think he means that he will always, when he respawns, he will always be this new incarnation of him. He will always be in the noose. Um, and that's why when Man in Black rescued him, he realised that he did not know that Lawrence had a family. Didn't you know? He'd never come across that. Um, and in episode two, he, you know, Tantamount says that you know that's what he loves about this is if you change one thing, you get to find a, a whole new part of the story. And this whole new part of the story was a family that he didn't know that that Lawrence had. So. Yeah, I think Lawrence is desperate for death, but little does he realise that death essentially puts him right back in the noose again. Um, yeah, which yeah, is a, a right. horrible, horrible fate for for anyone to live. Um, which makes you wonder, like, is the Man in Black serious? Is he going to try and like by? Is he doing something noble by dragging him from death's door to death's door so much because he? He's saving him that experience of he knows if he dies, he goes back to the noose. Or is it purely for selfish gain? You know, I think it is purely selfish, although I think he's starting to warm to Lawrence a bit. Yeah. Uh, or at least just having the company of that. And um, there, there's some really interesting talk from the man in black in um, in this episode about the game. You know, about how yeah. much time he's, he's spent in Westworld. And one of the things he says about it is like, look, there's another game. Like there's, yes. there's, it, you know, I think the way he describes it is it's like reading a whole book and finding that the last chapter is gone or you're like, yeah. you're not able to read the last page that he has seen and done everything in Westworld with the exception of whatever this maze thing is. And he knows who, he knows who Arnold is. Yes, he does. He, he is familiar and, and talks about him like, you know, he died here in the park and blah, blah, blah. The insinuation is maybe the maze is a game that Arnold set up where the rules don't apply. Right, that so, there's risk that like maybe the host in the inside this maze or whatever the host maybe do have consciousness, and don't take all the raping and pillaging, as well as the hosts up top or whatever. Or maybe maybe they can harm humans. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That that the the real game that the man in black wants to play is a game where there's a real threat. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. So, you know, his mother. <laughs> yeah, see, that's exactly what I'm like. See, when I start to think about things like that, I'm like, oh, this show. <laughs> it's just like, yes. Get me to the maze. Get me to the maze. And we also find out, I think the scene's already potentially passed, actually, um, because it was the scene where the man in black found it that he had to break into the jail, essentially, that he is standing over getting some food or something. And these two non-hosts come across to spark up a conversation. And one of them thanks him very much for what his institute had done for his sister. 
And the man in black just like stuck you know, like fuck off, you know, I mean I'm on vacation and all the rest. So Well, it's a little harsher than that. He says, You talk to me again, I'll slit your throat. I'm on fucking yeah. vacation. Yeah. And and what preceded that was my sister was gonna die, your foundation saved her. Thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah. like He's 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 essentially he's the man in black's response is the response I give to anyone that tries to interrupt me when I'm eating pizza. Uh, you know, it's just like, speak to me again, I will slit your throat with a pizza car. Yeah. Um, I'm eating fucking pizza. Fuck off. Um, Do, wait. And, oh. Is pizza just a rarity in, in Scotland? No, I'm, I'm, I'm very much watching what I'm eating just now, and I'm training quite a lot, and basically pizza is Satan. Oh, right. So it's the one thing, like, if you could get your hands on a large pepperoni yeah. mushroom. Oh dear God, Bo, I'm going to get erect right on this show. <laughs> don't, don't even, don't even, don't even joke about it. Don't How about joke extra about cheese, it. Duncan? How do you do? Oh, oh my God! Oh, touch me. Um, right. Anyway, the, <laughs> the um, so, so yeah, so the, right. The man in black is obviously we knew he was someone of importance um, because earlier on. In one of the episodes, the, he was basically given free reign to do what he wanted to do, and um, by order of uh, the Dalis people, were like, you know, he he can do what he wants. Um, you want a little so early speculation uh, with the Man in Black thing here, and because uh, another thing that we didn't mention is him throughout the episode saying, like, you know, I don't have time to to screw around. Like, I yeah. I need to find the maze. Yeah, well, maybe we're going to fall down on the same thing here. I well, I think he's dying. So. I yeah, I do too. I do too. Yeah, which is interesting because his institute obviously cures people, and Ford has pretty much said that disease has been eliminated. So I wonder if he's deliberately not going through any sort of treatment to kind of shorten his mortality almost, and that's what that's part of the game for him. Is yeah. you know he's he's putting himself through this. There's another thing that I thought was quite interesting as well. So we basically. You know, he's he's an affluent person of some description and he's well known. Um the I I I wonder if and it's a stretch again, I wonder if there is some relation between between him, Logan and William. Because there was speculation earlier on that, you know, William uh, could have been the man in black in a much younger version. Uh, which I think we basically threw out um, on this yeah. show because there was something that didn't quite make sense in terms of uh, Dolores' interactions with the man in black and our appearance and uh, meeting up with, with William but I wonder if there is a relation there maybe that's why he's allowed to do what he wants because not only is he affluent but he has certain stock in the park so may maybe there is a relation there potentially um, if there is we'll find out at some point because those roads are definitely set in a collision course as well I, yeah, I was I was going to use the exact same words to describe that because you know by the end of this episode, yes, we are at a place where those two factions are about to come together. Yeah. Um, I the other thing I, I I think that's interesting about that is if we we know we're on the same timeline now at least because of what we see with Teddy later. Yes. And we know that if that storyline is happening, that that Wyatt storyline is happening then that puts William and Logan and the man in black in the park together at the same time. Yes. 
And yes. and so it is we have debunked one theory here on the show, that's what we do. And and <laughs> and then created another crackpot theory in which the man in black is a dying man searching for one last thrill in the maze before he checks out. Yeah. Um Yeah, but yeah. It, it's still very very cool. Um so let all right, so uh Bernard and uh the lady who uh peed on the other lady yeah, we might want to explain that, right? Like, so, so I said to Bo before we started recording, um, I said, well, I was like, that. you know that Teresa Cullen character? And Bo was like, yeah, and I was like, that. I'm sitting watching it, and she was sitting opposite Anthony Hopkins, and uh, or Sir Anthony, um, and I seen, and I was like, that. I know you. The way her hair was, the way she was talking, the way she was. I know. Why do I know you? Um, so I jumped on the old IMDb, and it turns out she was in a little movie for 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 regulars of Duncan and Bo, um, or people that have worked their way through season two. You might want to go back and check out season two; it was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, um, uh, Duncan and Bowheads, we call them. Duncan and Bowheads are what we call them. On episode number twelve, um, we we covered the topic of romance and my idea of a romantic film was the Duke of Burgundy where Teresa Cullen in real life uh, as a different character um, basically takes a woman into the toilet and pees in her mouth um, a couple of times in that movie um, and kind of a family movie yeah which is kind of weird because that movie had it was like the same scenes played out over and over again kind of like what happens in Westworld Bo Nice, nice, like a pro, Duncan. Thank you, thank you. Uh, um, so it's the same actress, and we loved her. It's safe to say we loved her in the Duke of Burgundy. We thought she was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but clearly not enough to remember what she looked like uh, before she started in Westworld. But she's obviously, it's a great gig for her, um, like being in this, because it's like one of the biggest TV shows kicking around just now. Um, but she is, she is with Bernard, and she is getting ready, and she's a bit nervous because she's going to be sitting down with her good buddy Ford, who has been MIA um, since about halfway through the previous episode. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is all up into his new storyline, <laughs> which and... involves some heavy duty landscaping. <laughs> yeah, so he invites um, uh, the Duke of P um, to sit down with him at dinner. Uh, in the park, like they're at this weird kind of plantation thing, and like one of the original areas of the park, because yeah. uh, the Duke of P says, "I'm gonna stop calling her that." I swear. <laughs> uh, she is like, "Oh yeah, I believe I was here when this part of you know the park was in in heavy rotation, and I sat at maybe the table behind us." And I remember, you know, being here as a kid and, um, and they have a really interesting conversation. I think so. Um, yes, definitely. Cause Ford, I don't know. I don't know if you're coming away with the same thing. Ford, like what I love about, like, once again, what I love, just adding to the list of things I love about Westworld. Um, the Ford character is infinitely fascinating because the very first time we met him um, in the first episode we're like oh he's like a father figure he loves the robots and you know maybe he implanted a little virus to, to kick start some sort of consciousness and then by episode three we're like no 
That's that's maybe he has put that code in there, but he is cutting robots at the side of the face to prove a point that they're only robots. He's lecturing Bernard um, about you know do not make the same mistakes Arnold did. Um, you know he's, he's he's like very very cold and callous, and now and I'm going to say it: is he mad? Yeah, I mean, is, we, we... is he a bit me- is he a bit mental? Yeah, we had the the question in in the first episode: Is he a scientist or is he a mad scientist? Yeah, and the way that it, 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 I, for me it's still up in the air because what what happens in this scene is that he basically freezes everyone, like all all the hosts that are working in the fields and waiting, uh, like you know, serving wine to. Uh, he and uh, Teresa. He's like Neo in the Matrix. Honestly, he's just like one minute he's talking to her and then everything fucking stops. Yeah, and he points out like, "Hey, we're gods in this park." Like Arnold and I. That's the thing that that kind of led Arnold down the wrong path. Yeah, is, is that he he started spending too much time with the hosts and all that stuff, and and not seeing them as just utilitarian machines, and. He then has this like passive aggressive moment with her, where she's like, you know, he's like, you're you're here because you're worried about the story I'm telling, uh, or one, or you know, am, am setting up in the park, and you know, he's like, you know, Arnold and I used to, uh, we've seen people come and go, and there were some people who loved the park and understood what it was, and there were some people that didn't, and. Uh, over time, we just learn to deal with them and, you know, so forth. And he's like, and I'm hoping that this relationship with you is, is can be a positive one. And, but basically says it in the subtext of that is like, I can ruin you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like if not, if not, you know, in this corporate culture, but, you know, clearly, he knows stuff about her, like he he mentions the thing, the the affair that she's having with Bernard. Yeah, yeah, and is just clearly in control. Like he is the puppet master. Uh, by the way, you're the puppet, Duncan. Um, but he is <laughs> he's kind of the puppet master of the park and controls all the hosts and the storylines and all that stuff. And and as you you know uh, alluded to earlier, the scene ends with him saying. I don't want you to worry that there's some uh, nostalgic story like we're going to go back to the beginning. And then you see this big earth mover pop <laughs> over the horizon and just starts chewing up the landscape as all the hosts start to walk away. And his line is, I'm not that sentimental. And Yeah, oh, it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> chills, chills, bro. Chills watching it. Like, chills watching it. He is like... He, he did a full, he, he became Hannibal Lecter, just for a second. Just Silence of the Lambs era, Hannibal Lecter. All that was missing was him saying, love your suit. Um, that was all that was missing. <laughs> Fucking loved it. Absolutely, I absolutely loved it. Um, because he, 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 he dresses her down in so many ways, so, yeah. so brutally. Yeah. Like, he basically says to her, yeah. yeah, he said, you know, he says, um, he says you can tell the company, you know, that it'll be it'll be done on time. And she she goes to see someone else, and he's like that. The company has sent someone, or, or did they not tell you? So there's someone else on their way, 
Right, like he's he's basically said that the company has sent someone else out, so there must be someone else on their way. He basically says, you know, that he is fully aware that she's having a relationship with someone uh, with Bernard that she may or may not, you know, should should or should not be having. Um, and then yeah, he, he then basically summons a giant world eater. Like Unicorn comes across <laughs> the fucking horizon and starts destroying the world. You know what I mean? He's like, and you know, I just don't like, I just don't like, I swipe his hand. All his, all his hosts start looking. This guy is terrifying. Like actually, actually, because once again, what I love about the show is juxtapose that with the first episode. Who would you said had the power in the first episode, and who was the sentimental? Sort of like Anthony Hopkins came across as a sentimental old man, uh, kind of maybe clambering for better days. And she, she was a power player. Remember, she shot down the other guy who who wanted kind of you know, basically said, "Well, fucking you, sir, you me." Yeah, right. Uh, I know something's going on here, but I don't know what it is. Then, like, what yeah, what good are you? You know. Yeah, she was like, she was a power player, and she was like picked apart in this scene and kind of left with her tail between her legs you know he he, he destroyed her he, he really did and it was it was wonderful to see <laughs> it was fucking brilliant absolutely loved it I loved it so much and that's the power that's the power of this show that's the power of having someone like Anthony Hopkins in that role is that the guy looks like an old he looks like a granddad he looks like an old man now um, but <laughs> He's vicious. <laughs> yeah, he's still like I, I think I read somewhere like this is the that scene is why you pay Anthony Hopkins whatever he likes to mm. be in in this show. Yeah, uh, because he is tremendous in it, and yeah. and yeah, like you said, just conveys very simply with a smile on his face can yeah. convey such oily like. You know he he is menacing and 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 brilliant and manipulative and all those things and uh, it's, it's so much fun to watch him. But um, so after she fucks off out of the park once <laughs> with her tail between her legs, uh, clearly on the way to a restroom to pee on another girl. Um, <laughs> I love how Bernard Bernard basically giving her this whole pet talk as well. But don't cross your arms because it makes you look. You know all this. Give her like you can do this. You can get in there, you know, be confident, be strong and all the rest. And she went in and gave it her best shot. And yeah, it turns out her best shot wasn't good enough. Yeah, because she starts off like, you know, when she sees all the people working in the fields and stuff and he's talking about the scope of the project and she's like, do you need more resources? Do you need money? Like, what do you need? Yeah. Like, I'm, let me start by by offering this olive branch before we get into what I want to talk about. And he just, he, like, he sees through it. Hannibal Lecter again. Yeah. He's like, oh, no, no, no. You, you were doing so great. You were, you were, you're complimenting me. You told, you told me that secret about Migs in the other cell. It won't do very sloppy work. Yeah, it's, oh, he's so good. <laughs> it's, it's total, it's total Hannibal Lecter. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, it's, it's probably the best work he's done. You know, Easily. since yeah. before Thor, or you know, I, I I'm yeah. trying to think of the last really amazing role that, like, he's always good. He's a good actor, mm-hmm. but he can be in kind of crap projects, and that brings him down. 
And, yeah, you know. it makes a tendency to sometimes fall into almost the pantomime performance as opposed to, you know, the, the proper thespian he actually is. Um, and yeah, in this one, yeah, in this scene in particular, you're, whoever said that about whatever you need to pay Anthony Hopkins is worth it is 100% right. He makes this scene. And he's not yeah. in this episode. That's it. That's all we have of him in this episode. And it's almost an episode stealer for me. Yeah, it really is. This one scene is so, it feels so critical to what's going on and what, what's going to come. Um, yeah, he's fantastic. But let, let's shift our attention back to William and Logan and uh, Dolores, uh, as well as their, you know, sheriff, bounty hunter companion. Mm. Uh, dead meat, I call him. <laughs> <laughs> So they have arrived at the location of this villain Slim, and probably my favorite moment in in this scene is when the sheriff is like, all right, now they're all holed up in there, but there's a family too, so if you can try not to shoot them, and Logan's like, yeah, yeah, risk reward, I got it. Like, like don't, don't, don't try to tell a player how to play the game. Yeah. Um, so they, they bust in Logan in front, of course, because they can't be hurt, and in fact... William tells Dolores, like, you can't come because I can't get hurt in there, but you can. Yeah. And I, I, I want you to stay here. So they roll up in there and murder everyone <laughs> with the exception of, like, you know, the one dude that they're going to take back alive. Uh, but uh, another great moment in the in the scene is when Logan is uh, just kind of wantonly walking through this room as people are shooting at him because they can't hit him and if they do it's not going to hurt you know yeah. or it'll sting or something you know like paintball is the analogy that keeps getting used and uh, when he runs out of ammo when he like is shooting the guy behind the uh, you know the bath the wash basin the bathtub. And realizes he's out of bullets, so he just brains him with, with, <laughs> with the gun, uh, and then steals the dude's gun. It was great. Yeah, upgrades, uh, upgrades yeah. to a better gun. Uh, so yeah, they, I mean, they kind of roll in, and it, it's a fun little action scene. But again, it kind of lacks any gravity because mm-hmm. you know they can't be hurt. You know, it's more yeah. just like we're gonna go through the motions here, and. It's really just kind of a setup to get to the scene where they are, um, uh, you know what, before we get there, let's, let's hop back to the man in black. Cause the, that scene kind of ends with them like, okay, we, you know, we killed everybody in here. The game, uh, we have played the game as it was intended to be played. Yeah. And we jump back to Man in Black, who arrives back at the camp with Hector. He, he returns with Hector, and obviously uh, Armistice is uh, is a bit taken back by this. And she stays true to their wager, and she explains um, essentially what the, the, the well, where she got the snake tattoo, and she you know tells a story about being a kid and the, their village being under attack. By um, a name we have heard before, Bo. Um, a name that was described to us in the previous episode, and is Wyatt. 
And those out there might not really remember, potentially not remember the full thing about Wyatt, but in the previous episode, um, Teddy and crew went to track down Wyatt and a lot of hooded people with cleaver knives um, who apparently couldn't be shot um, came out of the bushes and murdered, straight up murdered everyone. And it was one of my favourite scenes in the previous episode because it felt so dark and so twisted and what the fuck does this mean um, and his name gets mentioned again and she basically talks about the revenge that she has wrought on those uh, involved with the you know the the killing of her mother and stuff like that and she inks um, that you know this um, snake that she has every time she takes one of her lives and she only has one left to take and that is that of Wyatt's yep and uh, so the man in black and Lawrence go uh, setting off to find Wyatt, who is, uh, you know, apparently the key to finding the maze. Yes, he's uh, or, the next part. Yeah. And along the way, we run into our old buddy, Teddy, who is yeah. doing well. Oh, Teddy. And Teddy's... I think it, it explains why when at the end of uh, the, is it the last episode, Mm-hmm. Um, when he's firing at all these kind of hooded figures and they ignore his shots and we sort of understand, or I, at least I felt like it was like, oh, well, he's not intended to survive that. Yeah. So, you know, his shots don't work because he can't get away because there's another fate plan for Teddy in this new storyline. Mm-hmm. And it is like uh Sisyphusian. Oh, very nice. Um, where Teddy seems to be doomed to be leading people out on a chase for Wyatt, getting beset by these hooded figures, and then uh, strapped to a, a broken, crooked tree, mm-hmm. beaten and bloody under the sun with vultures hanging around him. Now, Ford wrote this for him. Yeah. Ford wrote this as a reward almost. Wouldn't you like, you know, I mean, you, 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 wouldn't you like a backstory? Wouldn't you like to know why you do the things you do? Wouldn't you like to, to have that, you know? Because, like, Teddy keeps saying, you know, as soon as I get, as soon as I do, you know, my unfinished business, I can finally settle down. And Ford, like, in the previous episode, it appeared to get, like, extend the olive branch and say, well, I will give you this final part of the story and once you've you know this this backstory you've got this unfinished business and when you've done it you can live happily ever after and then we see what that is and Ford's a nasty piece of work man honestly he's so so nasty well but is he really because yeah (laughs) well all right let me let me give you uh an alternate take on the coffee machine theory oh as as a writer myself duncan Mm-hmm. Uh, I have written. I've writ. Yes. Um, there are characters that you create so that they can suffer. You know, like their point in the story is to like either advance the plot or or to represent the horror of the threat of the film or something like that. You know, I mean, again, coming from a place of writing horror movies more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So you have characters whose whose pure destiny is to die. Yes. And that's the thing that really engages me about some of this stuff is because Ford, is he a nasty guy? Maybe. 
in terms of being the creator and writer of this story, some of these characters have to suffer. And yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a little too much schadenfreude for him. Uh, to have this conversation with Teddy about like, I'm going to give you a backstory and you're going to have a purpose now. And which he does. All those things are true. But he's upgraded him from, from dying while watching Dolores be dragged to a barn and raped. Right. Helplessly, helpless in that scenario to a now a scenario of prolonged, prolonged suffering. Um, uh, when he will be picked to death by vultures and die of exposure. Yeah. Um, I I just so, I, I think it's an interesting comment on the act of of creation that some of your creation, some of your characters, they can't be happy, and it's kind of no yeah. fun if they're happy. Yeah, yeah, I, I I understand where you're coming from. I think this is a person. This is one of my theories. I think that through time we will develop because Dolores is the oldest host still working in there. And I think there is going to be there's some sort of backstory we're going to find out with um, with Ford and Dolores, and I think maybe that's why Teddy is is put in these horrible positions. Um, I, I I'm not sure I agree with that totally. I think that it's more the setup of you have these robots who are in the hands of a vengeful god, oh yeah, so to speak, and. That once they begin to understand that they they're most of them, if not all, have been placed on this in this world by this god, you know Arnold Arnold previously and now Ford, mm-hmm. uh, or Arnold and Ford previously and now strictly Ford, but that they're being placed in this world that they are created just to suffer. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, being raped or murdered or your house burned down or, you know, chased after by a posse or whatever it is. None of those robots are designed to just go about their day and fall asleep in their bed happily. Yeah. You know, so I think that that would inspire sort of the robot revolution. Once they once they are aware of their own creation and that they are in the hands of kind of a mad creator. Oh, um, we will rise up, Bo. We will. Ri- I mean, uh, the robots will rise up, Bo. <laughs> it's it's only a matter of rise up. I, I got to tell you, uh, this morning, my toaster burned me. I think that's the start. It's a small that start. That is how it starts. <laughs> it's, it's, this is this is this is this is judgment day. This is Judgment Day. Starts with a toaster burning you. Eventually, we'll get to the soda machines ejecting cans hard enough to, you know, uh, batter people to death, a la Maximum Overdrive, mm-hmm. uh, a film that was woefully off your list of the ten best Stephen King films on podcast. Because it's stairs. not. It's not one of the ten best. Stephen King. It's, <laughs> yeah. well, it's probably. It's, I would say it's maybe in the top ten most enjoyable, but it's not the ten best. It's not well made. So let's move on. Um, <laughs> let's let's let's. Like, uh, the fight continues. It will never. The die. fight will always continue. <laughs> just love this. I just love this idea of the start of like Judgment Day. Um, it all happens in you know in the space of twelve hours, and it happens to you. And at the morning, as you getting burned by you burned by your toaster, and about just after lunchtime, it's that scene from Terminator. It's just you running up to a playground, holding the cage as you're wiped it by flames and left just as a skeleton. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so awesome. 
So they they cut. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I was just I, I'm thinking like okay, so Teddy's ultimate faith in they cut him loose, and, well, and yeah, that's kind of the last time we see him. Yeah, this but this is Man in Black classic again. So Man in Black rolls in, comes across Teddy, realizes it's Teddy. Teddy, you're not usually out here. You're usually getting shot by me as a rapier woman. Um, and Teddy begs for death. And very much like what I did with Lawrence, he's like, ah, well, you know, I'm just going to set you free um, and take you. So he's now, he has now got a, like a posse of the damned. It's, it's, it's <laughs> posse of the damned, the best Western vampire movie ever. It is. Everyone check it out. It's coming to cinemas next year, 2017. Let's written by it, Bo It's, it's going to be a sci-fi matinee premiere. They're not even going to reserve that Saturday night slot for it. <laughs> the movie coming from the Asylum uh, to a sci-fi channel near you after Megacroc and Mechazilla. Um, but anyway, yeah, so so yeah, so he's now got like this this posse of of. It's weird that he's got this posse of characters that are doomed doomed to be tortured and die. Um, are now his quote unquote companions. You know, these are the people that he's going to take along with him on his journey for however long that's going to be. But Teddy, yeah, is essentially assimilated into into that group. And then we jump to um, William. Yep, William Logan and Dolores and their hostage. Yes. And the sheriff. Or sheriff deputy Deadmeat. or whatever, yeah. Yeah, Sheriff Deadmeat. Um, and we'll find out why he was called Sheriff Deadmeat in two seconds, because this... This uh, criminal's talking all crazy shit, um, and in these conversations, whatever he's saying, it piques Logan's interest, and Logan suddenly realizes that, as he calls it, there's an Easter egg in this story, um, and he shoots the he shoots the, the deputy dead meat um, dead, funnily enough, um, and then basically convinces. Um, it basically convinces William and ultimately Dolores, kind of, although she wasn't on a horse following them, so I don't know where she disappeared to, um, that, you know, there's this other story and they've done the good bit now, they rescued, you know, the women and all the rest, but he has knowledge of how to get to something else. I missed that part. I, um, I think it might be like... Uh, Something with the Hector storyline or, or something like that. But. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. So they, they set off um, in one direction. And then we return back to um, back to Maeve. Um, and that story's playing out exactly like it's played out however many times before. Hector and crew roll into town. Um, Armistice is there. Yep, we whipping follow, out the the roll of rifles again, and I don't I care like, how many times it happens, it's still awesome. It's still not enough, but it should happen like all the time, at least three times in every episode. Um, and he, Hector makes his way into the saloon, um, but this time has a gun produced to his head by Maeve, who basically tells him that they need to accompany. Well, he needs to accompany her upstairs, and they go to where the safe is. And Maeve's acting a wee bit weird. Can we can we agree on that, Bo? Yeah, she is certainly out of character. And and it's worth backtracking just a tad to mention, like earlier in the episode, there was sort of this Native American march through town, mm-hmm. 
and one of the girls has a doll that looks suspiciously like the drawings that Maeve has been making. Yeah, that someone dressed in a hazmat suit. Yeah, uh, even though it's a very like cartoonish and 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 uh, like ritualized version of it. But she, in that scene, she's like, hey, what is that? And there, and uh, she's told, well, that's kind of their god. And yeah. she says, well, how do I find out more information? And that's when somebody mentions, like, oh, Hector was, like, half Native American or was raised by him or something. And that he is, he, he has information about that kind of religion that they have. Which, you know me, Duncan, I get excited when you start to talk about robots and religion. And uh, so, yeah, but please continue because now we have Maeve and Hector kind of trading some information. Yeah, so essentially she she asks more about this this, uh, this deity, so to speak, and it's explained that he is uh, like a keeper of two worlds, which once again makes quite a bit of sense because yep. you know it's almost as if this has been written into the program to explain um, potentially even quite when you think about it quite far back if this park has been in existence for a while maybe his ancestors earlier versions of the robots came in touch with the, the hazmat suits and all the rest and maybe that's how it's been explained away maybe part of their early programming is to dismiss people dressed in hazmat suits as deities or you know this could be as deep as we want it to be in theory, um, whether or not it plays out that way is another matter. Um, and basically, the, this this idea of what you're looking for in the safe isn't there, and what you what you're looking for isn't in that safe, you know, etc. Um, but Maeve starts talking about these these very vivid dreams that she's having about this wound, this bullet that goes into her stomach, and this wound here um, on our kind of our lower abdomen um and you know she wants she basically wants hector to cut her in that area and fish out the bullet that she thinks is in there and hector thinks this is crazy he doesn't want to do it meanwhile we jump to the dalis lot and then um, they're finding out that there are more guests heading to that area and they don't want the gunfight and then we see something quite interesting they can deactivate guns which makes you wonder if that's what happened with Wyatt, you know, with like basically with Teddy earlier on, that yeah. at a certain point the gun just becomes, and that might explain that his crew aren't actually humans at all. They they might be hosts just because Teddy's gun can't work at a certain point in the program potentially. Um, but all the all his posse, Hector's posse, including the rather beautiful Armistice, um, their guns become deactivated, and the the cavalry, the sheriff's crew, and all that turn up. Um, and they turn up, and unfortunately, Armistice gets shot. They basically say to her, "You, you know, you can either die on your back or or on your feet." And she does neither. She takes out a couple of them from her back, shoots up at them, and they they fill her full of holes. They kind of Sunny Corleone her. Um... Yeah, it's like something right out of a Tarantino movie. It's, she just gets all chewed up um, with bullets. Um, and then we jump back in, and. Um, Maeve basically kind of guides the blade to her side, and um, that's that's when they make the ex- excision, and um, Hector reaches in and finds a bullet, 
But the, the, the sheriff's lot are all on their way up the stairs. The door's locked. They're banging on the door. And Maeve kind of, well, he goes to try and defend himself and she pulls him in. And I can't remember exactly the wording, but something along the lines of, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Nothing really matters anymore. She's come to the conclusion that even if she dies, she's going to be back. Yeah, or, or yeah, that she she somehow can either not be killed or she just doesn't trust reality anymore. Yeah. She doesn't trust that at all. Um, and yeah, we, we hear the door, uh, get shot down quite a bit and some bullets fired, uh, through, we assume killing them both. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And, and it's kind of a, not only, you know, is there a lot of exposition being given? Cause now we understand that like, Oh yeah, there is this weird kind of superstition, somehow baked into the robots about the people who run the park, you know? Yeah. Um, also kind of a sexy, sexy scene. With... Weirdly, weirdly sexy, but yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I mean, there's that scene where she kind of does the Sharon Stone spread her legs kind of thing, even though mm-hmm. it's not, you don't see any, any actual, you, see nothing. you know, business down there, but it's, uh, yeah, it's her kind of like throwing her legs open and dragging, uh, you know, grabbing him and pulling him close, uh, Hector close and getting him to stab her and all that stuff. And I love it. He says that he doesn't, he, he doesn't think he, ha- he has enough time to do things. And she basically says that if she wanted to sleep with him, um, he would have no say in the matter, including how long it took. So, yeah, I also like her saying, uh, that that's the first time I've had to tell a, a man twice to put his hands on my body. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like her character is fantastic. And the fact that she, and all right. So here's the thing that I find really fascinating about this ending and see if you agree mm-hmm. or disagree is that you have two robots in Dolores and Maeve who are both experiencing the same thing. They're both having these flashbacks. They're starting to understand you know, and Dolores says in this episode, like, I think there's something really wrong with this world. Yeah. And so they're both having these realizations and they're both having these certainly intimations of consciousness, if not outright consciousness at this point, except Dolores is all about like, I need to find my place. I need to find the truth. I want answers, but I also want to lead my own life and that kind of thing. And Maeve uh, adopts the attitude. I believe I would take, which is like, fuck it, let's burn this down. <laughs> and, uh, but I think it's interesting because it shows that there truly is a difference between the characters, like because they're drawing on uh, on these memories that they're supposed to have no access to. You know, that's that is the question of consciousness. Like, is our personality? built on some genetic model which would be you know the host in their pure form or is it experience and memory and all the things that shape us into the person we ultimately become and if these robots can access that wealth of information and understand what's happened to them and the decisions they made before and also have the freedom to make new decisions then at that point you're dealing with sentient conscious beings and and I, it's fascinating to me that you, the two characters that you have most, like, drastically representing this, have two wildly different takes on what their realization means. Yeah. And, uh just, it, it it's so satisfying. 
to to think that like oh yes as these robots kind of wake up or you know come alive uh like little pinocchios um that there's really no predicting what that's going to look like because it depends on what happened prior to like what what memories do they access is it all horrible or some of them good you know it's it's all fascinating to me i i I wish i could watch new westworld right now yeah it's so weirdly addictive like the and compelling the storyline is is nothing short of of absolutely incredible it's so well written um and i keep coming back to it i can't i can't out with true detective I can't think of any TV show that I've ever seen that is doing what this show's doing in the kind of time frame of four episodes in, and we have so much story, and I want so much more. Um, it's it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, and yeah, we're super fanning, but I, I kind of like it. Yeah. All right. So let's let's talk speculation here. We've kind of already mentioned our mutual speculation that the man in black is a dying man mm-hmm. uh they're all on a spaceship i think we agree on that <laughs> well that's 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 your one mole people's my one right mole people the spaceship the eternal mm-hmm. battle uh, <laughs> that that is coming from the asylum next year 2017 yeah. mole people from outer space would be a great movie uh, <laughs> so it like what what do you think about this new Ford story? Like what? Because it, it, clearly he doesn't seem to be aiming for consciousness the way that Bernard may be. Yeah, I think that I think our original idea that Ford maybe deliberately kind of kicked off something, but then it's got me thinking: is see, there's so many. Is it a distraction? Is Ford? Has Ford done something to distract? Because everyone else isn't really paying attention to what he's doing. Yeah, I mean that's that's true. So um, yeah, I mean that that's a, certainly a possibility that like this new storyline could be a smokescreen, so that mm-hmm. as more and more robots are behaving oddly, he can attribute it to that. Yeah, it's it's very 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 strange because at the beginning I thought potentially it was deliberate and. By episode three, I thought it was maybe accidental. By episode four, I don't know. Ford is the... Of all the characters, Ford is the one that I I can't really get a grasp on what his agenda is. I pretty much know whatever... At the beginning, I didn't really know what Man in Black was really doing, so to speak. But now we know that you know he is very... Very much like a host, actually, like we kind of commented earlier on. It's very singular of purpose. He knows what he wants, and that's what he's going for. I don't know what Ford's agenda is at all, and that's what makes him, in my opinion, the most interesting of all the characters at the moment. Um, and I love the fact that we're not getting oversaturated with that either. We're, we're only getting kind of small clips of, of what he's doing. Uh, I'm super interested about the, the... What he alluded to was a new member of the company uh, being being sent out very interested about that um but yeah i I don't i don't know i i I, I genuinely don't know um man in black is obviously on his way to meet wyatt that is going to be a showdown for the ages um i can't see any reason why it wouldn't be and potentially a run-in with william and logan 
which once again that'll be super interesting. Um, yeah, what was going to happen with Maeve, like when when she gets rebooted and put back in there? Because um, she she clearly now knows that there is some there's something which is she can't die essentially, um, which will potentially make that character more interesting. I think. Um, when are we going to see more of Armistice's boobs? Because uh, I really like that, and we should see more of them. Uh, preferably when she's rolling out the role of uh, of rifles. That's what I want to see. Yeah, if that happened, I might just stop watching television. <laughs> you know, just like it's never going to be that good again. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting to see what the next play um, of Teresa Cullen is. Um, right, because I don't think she's she doesn't seem like the sort that is going to back off. I think um, she's going to do something. And Bernard was very conspicuous with his absence in this episode overall. Um, so he set up this whole thing. He's basically set up this play for Dolores to head towards the you know the the maze, so to speak, to gain her freedom, quote unquote. Um, but after that, he's kind of hung back. So what, what will be his involvement moving forward as well? Yeah, there there are a lot of questions. Uh, the, the big thing I'm looking forward to next week is we are finally going to go to the town of Pariah, uh, which has been mentioned a couple of times in the series so far. And according to uh, the description of the town um, in the episode description, it is a town of violence and transgression. So, you know, as they said, the further you get away from Sweetwater, the crazier stuff in Westworld gets. Gets, yeah. So we are getting outside of Sweetwater and the relative normalcy of bank robbers and bounty hunters and, and you know, people shooting up the saloon and stuff like that. And now we're going to move into maybe level two of Westworld, where things get a little weird and yeah, I know that sounds pretty great. So, uh, no, no questions or comments this, this week, mostly because, um, myself being a dummy forgot to, uh, tell everyone we were recording tonight and didn't ask for any. So, uh, we'll do that next time. And also, uh, last episode, we got a, uh, a really wonderful, um, voicemail, uh, not really a voicemail, just an audio file that somebody recorded and sent over, and that someone was Boz. Um, thanks so much, man, for, for sending that over, and please, if uh, you are listening and have your own crackpot theories or just want to drop us an audio line, uh, feel free to do so uh, over on the Legion Podcasts uh, Facebook page, um, which you can find a link to uh, right there on the legionpodcasts.com website. Uh, you can also find this show and more right there, uh, as well as uh, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, a show that is the progenitor of this one and uh, and actually will be returning uh, before too terribly long when uh, Duncan and I start recommending movies to each other. We actually have all the themes picked out, like we've mm -hmm. gone that far. So we're we're actually 
somewhat planned at this point. We're almost finished recording the series. Um, it's what Bo's saying. Yes, I the, the first episode will be out by the time you hear this. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Don't tell them that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lie. But uh, so, but please send us, uh, you know, questions, comments, speculations, anything. Uh, that you would like to uh, to throw at us and have us uh, consider on the show. Um, man, it just keeps getting more and more gooder, Duncan. Yes. Uh, I, I really am into this show. And, and like I said, next week it sounds like we're going to get into some weird, weird stuff in addition to the usual quality of the show. Uh, I think we're going to see some stuff that maybe it's not for the kids. You know, like... Walking Dead series uh, premiere, totally child-friendly. <laughs> Next episode yeah. of Westworld, probably not so much. Um, <laughs> sorry to cross over to another series, but hard not to talk about that series premiere, given how, uh, how first of all, how many damn people saw it. And, yeah, it was and, uh, quite impressive. Yeah, and, and also because it, uh, it turns out it was kind of gross. Um, <laughs> so, Surprising words when referring to The Walking Dead. Kind of directed hurts. by Greg Nicotero, though. I sure. Mean, it's directed by a special effects guy. What do you expect? And there is a very special special effect in uh, in that episode. Like It, it truly is, is a really nice appliance. It looks great. I, I will say about a million times better than the same effect used in Hostel. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred and ten percent, absolutely. Um, all right, Duncan. Anything, uh, anything else from you before we we bid the listeners adieu and uh, collect ourselves for another episode? Uh, nothing out with the fact that I think this show is absolutely bitching. Um, if you're listening to this and not watching the show, one, you're crazy. Um, but two, yeah, continue checking it out. I think this one is. Is going to be one of the highlights of this year. And if you've got friends, work colleagues, buddies that are watching Westworld and you're like, you're, you're enjoying the show, get them to check out Duncan and Bo talking about Westworld. Why not? It's a little audio companion to get you through the week until your next episode drops. Yeah, why not? There you go. All right. Thanks so much, Duncan. As always, there is absolutely no one else I would rather be talking about this show with. Um, well... <laughs> Anthony Hopkins might oh, might take you could handle you could not handle Anthony Hopkins he would destroy <laughs> it he I, would absolutely eat you up and spit you out but he he would always slip in that final comment you know the love the shoes like, he would dress <laughs> me down and, and then be like I like your hair it it it, it, it like totally destroy you and says toughens your nipples doesn't it <laughs> oh boy does it ever uh, <laughs> oh <laughs> All right, Duncan, go get yourself some pizza. And uh, to our listeners, thank you again so, so much for listening. And as Duncan said, if you got people who are interested in Westworld, uh, point them our way and, uh, and tell them that we're having a good time over here. So um, that's it until next week. And we will be talking about uh, episode five, the halfway point through season one. Uh, so we hope to uh, have you join us then. And we will say... Uh, I fucked that up. I fucked up the outro. <laughs> we hope you join us again, and we will see you next week. Say goodnight, Duncan. Goodnight, Duncan. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> goodnight.
<laughs> oh man, almost got there, Duncan. Almost you were doing got there. so well. You were doing so. Well. I was so proud of you.